Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast. I'm Kimberly Johnson in DC, and today Sarah Wood is back. She's joining me to talk about Mueller's testimony yesterday and if it moved the needle toward impeachment. Also, we're going to be talking about the fact that Russia is still engaging in cyber warfare and will be doing so throughout the 2020 election. Happy Thursday! <laughs> but first, um, Start Me Up is an independent podcast, and we're supported by listeners like you. Check out some of the past shows, see if it's something that you'd like, and consider supporting us with any dollar amount. $1, $3, $10, $20, $5 gets you into and another thing, which is the show after the free show. Sometimes we get personal, sometimes we cry, sometimes we talk some shit about some shit. It's always different, and Sarah's going to be on the show with me today. So don't forget to visit patreon.com slash startmeup and support our independent podcast. If you're not ready to make a full commitment, you can always just do a one-time donation. In the, and I always include a link to my PayPal in the text of the um, Patreon show. So you can do that. Just go and visit patreon.com slash startmeup and look at all the different ways you can support us. Um, I also wanted to let everybody know that, as you know, I did have interview, well, I interviewed Vincent D'Onofrio a while back, and that was really fun, and we primarily focused on his craft, his acting and his craft. We did touch a little bit on the fact that he's a liberal, and occasionally he does tweet about uh, politics, but mostly we focused on the creative thing. So I've decided that's going to be an ongoing thing that I'll be doing talking to celebrities when I can book them. It's not like I'm, I can just get them like crazy. But anyway, um, recently, Holland Taylor said that she would be on the show. Oh my God, I love her. She, you know, she was, of course, in Two and a Half Men. She played the mom. She was also in Bosom Buddies. And right now she's doing a show called Anne, which is about Texas Governor Ann Richards. And it's just uncanny. You can go to her her uh, portrayal of Anne, I should say, is uncanny. You can visit like um, YouTube or something like that and check out a preview of the show. She, it's it's amazing. She sounds just like her. I'm going to be watching that show this week. I know there's an app on your, um, I, I don't know if it's on everyone's television, but you know, all the new like Roku TVs, they have a way that you can see it. It's like Broadway theater or something like that. And you can just subscribe to that channel and you can watch her performance. And I'm going to be doing that because it just looks absolutely fantastic and I can't wait to talk to her. I also will be talking to Kirk Acevedo, who starred in Band of Brothers and Oz and 12 Monkeys. He's going to be here the third week of August on that Wednesday. Um, normally, I'm going to be doing celebrity interviews on different days, whether it's Monday, Tuesday, or Thursday. And the reason is because um, actors have erratic schedules, and I, you know, sometimes they're available one day. They'll say, "Yes, I can make it next Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever," and then they can't because they get called into work. So I'm trying to make sure that I can get solid books, you know, solid bookings on Wednesdays. Those are absolutes. Um, but then with the celebrity interviews, I'll be doing them on a different day of the week, which means I'll be doing more than four per month. Sometimes it's only going to be one celebrity. Sometimes I might not have anybody to interview. But um, just keep in mind that those are going to be on different days. So those are just going to be like bonus, and they will be for free. So um, more, more reason to support the show, right? <laughs> anyway, all right, so let's just get into it and talk to Sarah. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Well, hello. Hmm. 
How you doing? I'm good. It's really great to be talking to you today. Yeah, it's a little it's a little nerve wracking under the circumstances, though. <laughs> <laughs> just a slightly, just a few things going on. Yeah, just, just a, a little just bit. Just a few. Um, let me ask you. I just want to before we get in and, and like dig in. I just want to know like your overall emotional state while you were watching the testimony yesterday, Mueller testimony. Well, when I started watching it, of course, you just want to sit there and be like, he's going to say everything we need to know to get Trump out of office. Right. And but deep down, I pretty much was like, he's basically going to reiterate what he's already said, what's already in the report. He's just going to back that up. Yeah. So I had and I knew that Republicans were going to go on the defense and defend, defend Trump. And just it was pretty much everything I expected. Uh huh. So the only thing I didn't expect was how he came off. He came off right. a little, not uncertain, but like all the information was there, but the way he presented it was a little bit unexpected. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you go back to past hearings and the way he conducted himself, there's a difference. And, you know, and I feel like he got slammed by the media for his non-Superman-y like performance. And, you know, I mean, he's a 75-year-old man who's overcome cancer. We don't know if there's anything he's dealing with right now. Um, Who who knows? You know, I mean, he's, he's, but I will say this, two things, actually. Number one, this is unlike any other hearing or any other case he's ever um, entered into, because this is like the fight for the soul of our country. And Regardless of his political ideology, he understands that. Um, he knows yes. that he knows the stakes are high, probably higher than any other case he's ever worked on. And so it seemed to me that you know, I mean, he was accused of stumbling, and it's like, yeah, he did. I mean, he would he went before he started talking, he would be like, uh, 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 but Obama kind of did that. Obama, when yeah. he was trying to be very careful, he would it would take him forever to get a point out. And I think that in the case of Mueller, there were certain times where when he was not, you know, I think that he was concerned about walking into a partisan trap. And so um, because of that, he took, you know, it was like he was in his head. He was working out what he was going to say when he wasn't concerned about stepping into a trap. And he just he, you know, he had a thought in his head and he wanted to make it clear he didn't stumble at all. He was very clear, and um, he didn't seem to have a problem. I mean, granted, there were times where he looked a little confused, um, but and, and I'm not trying to dismiss the fact that, yeah, he seemed a little bit more on the, um, I don't know what you would even call it, vulnerable side, or, you know, he looked a little, he just didn't look as strong as he used to look. But I think that he, um, I think that he was just really making an effort to be clear, and I think, yes. and, I, and, and, I'm, and I'm losing my thought process right now, <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, overall, I think that he did a good job. You know, he just, he just wasn't, he's just not a young man anymore. And, and you know, he and knows what's the, what the stakes are. That's just it. I think he wanted to be very certain with yeah. what he was hearing as far as questioning and very clear on what he was going to say because he knew whatever he said was going to be used in whatever way either party were going was going right. to take it. So I think he I, I think you're correct. I think he was taking his time and being very thoughtful and yeah. being very clear with his words. I think, you know, and frankly, I mean, people wanted to lower expectations of his performance and the main reason is we all knew 
um, when he did his press conference back in May, he was very clear he didn't want to show up. Um, you know, I mean, there, there, there's there's a number of reasons he may not want to have, you know, may not have wanted to show up. Maybe he is, you know, not feeling great right now. Maybe he's going through something. I mean, you know, he's a little bit older than my dad. And my dad is also a Vietnam veteran who actually, I think Mueller um, would have been his, and I don't know the terminology here, sergeant or whatever, you know, his commanding officer. Um, yeah. If my father had stayed on, he actually got hit with shrapnel a few days before I was born. He got hit in the arm and he came home. But if he would have stayed on, he would have worked with Mueller. And so they have a very similar, you know, experience in that they were both Marines. They've both been to uh, Vietnam. They're both older. And, you know, occasionally my dad is, um, you know, he's had different health issues and sometimes when he just recently was diagnosed with cancer because he was over in Vietnam and um, he you know he had this lump from his leg removed and he's a little out of it every once in a while but you know when he's feeling good he's sharp so I think exactly. that you know when you're when you get up to past you know 70 years old um, doesn't mean everybody's going to be, you know, I mean, look at Elizabeth Warren. She's like whip smart and, and whip sharp. <laughs> yes. But, you know, yeah. everybody's different. You know, everybody's got a different way of aging. And so I just think that I think that also Mueller has just been under so much pressure and so, and had to deal with so much, um, you know, chatter about who he is and Republicans smearing him and Trump saying stuff about him on Twitter and you know, I mean, it's not that I think he's easily swayed by, you know, stupid comments, but he's a human being. <laughs> you know, he's just a man. He's not Superman. Exactly. And there were like these these expectations that were put on him on both sides, expecting him to be whatever way they were expecting him to be. And then, then when he wasn't exactly that, they're like, oh, well, right. he's, he's off his game. He's not he's he's not responding. There must be something wrong. And it's like. Maybe this is who he is right now. Yeah. Doesn't make him any less smart, any less clear, but this is who he is. And he's answering the questions. Yeah, he might take a little bit longer or ask for a question to be repeated, but that doesn't make him stupid or not know what he's doing. Right. So I, I think people had expectations. And when those weren't exactly met, they were like, oh, no. Well, and I think that the way that those expectations were unfortunately created by Donald Trump. Because he's yep. just bombastic and over theatrical, and we've all, you know, we're, we're all waiting for the "you can't handle the truth" moment, and that's not mm -hmm. what's going to happen. You know, as much as we'd love to believe that there's some, I mean, Michael Cohen was an interesting um, witness, or whatever you would call him, whatever that, whatever it is, you know, when he was testifying, he was, he was interesting. You know what I mean? He had some interesting things to say, but I think that Mueller was interesting, and he actually, he actually. Um, I was expecting it to be even less, not say interesting, but I expected less information to come out. I think there were some things that Mueller said, especially when he, he said that basically, you know, it was a crime to, um, and I think it was working with the Russians that he used the word crime, but he used the word crime specifically and he didn't have to. And there were, you know, he had said that he could indict, you know, Trump, not he could, but Trump could be indicted after he leaves office, specifically if it's in 2020. So there were things that he gave us that were really important, and we're just so used to this bombastic, chaotic news cycle that we've 
come to expect it. And then when we don't get it, we were like, oh, well, that was boring. And that's just so yeah. irresponsible of us as a nation. It's fine to recognize that the man is aging, but he was not incompetent in any way. And, you know, mm. he didn't write the entire 400 page report himself. And much of it was redacted. So he needed to be clear in his head what's redacted, what's not redacted. I don't know what page, just because he didn't have it committed to memory doesn't mean that, you know, like, you were, you know, he's this inept guy. He, he just uh, was leading that investigation. He didn't have his hand in every single aspect of it. So it's just irresponsible of the press. It's irresponsible of, you know, the viewers to expect anything more. I think that, you know, if he were a younger man, um, it might be different. It might have come off different. But... It is what it is, and I think that after we shake down, you know, after we've had some time to kind of digest everything that happened, um, I'm hoping that we as a country can kind of have a little bit more positive takeaway from it than, than we have right now. Yeah, we're falling into the Trump trap. We're like, yeah. we expect everything to be like this over the top and, and like entertaining. And we get, we're waiting for those moments. And I feel like the media has definitely fallen into that where there's, they're just trying to out outrage yeah. to the next moment, to the next moment, to the next moment. And it's like, no, like sometimes the news is just the news. Sometimes the information is just the information we need. And yeah. that's, that's the way it was. But now we're falling into that. Like that, I think that's why a lot of online media is also dying because we're just trying to like, out outrage and out right. entertain and that we're falling into that like we got to get all the it's just it's it's madness the whole thing is madness yeah I mean it kind of it reminds me of like when you're a blogger especially you and I both worked for addicting info and yeah. um I mean I certainly don't regret my time there because when I got into it it was like 2012 I had never written for uh a blog, you know, a professional blog before. And I mean, they're an independent blog, but at the time they were actually pretty good. I remember reading a few articles and I thought some of the writers were really great. And, you know, they were a little snarky and sarcastic and it was fun to read politics with, a, you know, some humor or some snarky sarcasm. And I actually, this was prior to me even getting into politics. I had recommended to my mother that, you know, hey, you should check out Addicting Info. And so she actually did become a contributor over there and, and broke a story that kind of put them on the map. And I don't know if you remember this, but it was back in 2012 and it was, or was it 20, I think it was 2012. Um, my cousin, or my dad's cousin, cousin, I should say, she's gay and her mother died. And the priest, uh, what did he do? He didn't, like, he didn't let her her he he wasn't going to finish he walked out in the middle of the ceremony and he didn't want her to speak or whatever it was i can't remember what the deal was but he he was being discriminatory discriminatory toward her because she was gay and oh, wow. um it was awful he was such an awful person and so i remember that you know my mom wrote that story and she actually wrote about it from a personal point of view because it had not yet become this national conversation thing and um so she wrote about what happened, and I was just like contact. I was tweeting to Lawrence O'Donnell and to everybody I could think of, and, and it didn't take very long for that story to hit, and it went viral. And um, anyway, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. But when you work for um, Addicting Info or when you work for some of you know, these blogs that are 
slowly going away, it, it became this, it, it was like you had to, you had to write, you have to write headlines so that people click on your article and then they become kind of like ridiculous. Either it's asking a question or, you know, there's the mm-hmm. clickbait thing, which is where you, the headline suggests something and then you click on and it's something not what, the, what it was suggesting. People don't always understand the term clickbait, but that's what it means. It's like, it's like getting you in with that one thing. And then when you turn around, it's something else. Um, yeah. But those clickbaity headlines and those, you know, what did Rand Paul do now kind of things. It's just <laughs> kind of taken journalism down, you know, and and unfortunately, we're all falling for it. I mean, that was prior to Trump. And now we have Trump. And it's like, it's got everybody's to- writing those headlines. Yeah, That's the thing. Like, everybody's writing those, those style headlines that I was writing, you know, seven years ago, mm-hmm. that progressively got worse, because you wanted to get more clicks because of the way the algorithms were were for publishing and you had to make sure your stuff got out there. So, and it was, and it was a great opportunity. It was, I always called it, it wasn't the news, but it was like news blogging where you got, I got to write my opinion about the news, which was great. And I got paid for it and it was fantastic. But as I, but I always wanted to make sure I had honesty in my title. It was clickbait. Absolutely. I mean, it was clickbait to the sense where it made you click, Right. but I always tried to make it honest and true that was my one thing where I was like no it's got to be I'm yeah. not going to fool people right um yeah n- me neither I never wanted to yeah. do that I mean I worked for Liberals Unite for a long time and we were really um careful about how we you know titled things because we didn't want to be pegged as one of these sites that was clickbaity or you know just you know there was that whole upworthy thing that was really popular for a while and then everybody got sick of it Um, and that, you know, and, and now we're taking it to a new level and Trump, or I should say Trump has taken it to a new level and we're all going along with it. Yep. Everybody, you see, I see titles on like New York times or Washington post and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the same thing. They're, they're using these titles to get people to click. And it's just, yeah, we're in that age of like, we can't just write a news title that is, it that is what it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's obviously different than if you've got the newspaper in front of you, you didn't have to write uh, a headline that was necessarily going to grab. I mean, you would just basically say, here's my story here. You know, your, your headline was sometimes kind of bland. Um, but that's because they had the paper in front of them and the person who was reading the paper would decide within the first three paragraphs, whether or not they wanted to keep reading. So it's different Mm -hmm. online when you're in competition and you're always looking, you know, for, for new, um, for new eyes and to get people to read your stuff and to share your stuff. So, but the thing is, is what Trump has been doing is I think he's like turning, um, politics into a reality television show and unfortunately the media is going along with it i mean chuck todd yesterday um shit all over Mueller, and uh, he got way ratioed which he deserves um for people who don't know what ratioed means on twitter it means that you get all kinds of uh comments from people who are angry with you uh, you get way more comments than you do retweets or likes. And, it, you know, you can you can have a post that you could say, hey, what's your favorite TV show? And you get a lot of comments. That doesn't mean you're ratioed. Your ratioed specifically means when people are calling you out. And Chuck Todd got called out. And I wish the media would pay attention. Because there was, there was I think there were, uh, New York Times and the Washington Post were both... Um, running headlines that were basically just calling Mueller boring or disappointing. And so it's like, oh, come on. 
come on. This is this is journalism, and we have to be reporting on what happened. I mean, I think, going back to Mueller's testimony, I think that there were some really interesting takeaways. Like, for in, I mean, obviously, the second round, you know, when, when he was talking to uh, Schiff, um, Schiff said, let me see if I can read it, Trump... I'm going to have to make this bigger because my old eyes, <laughs> my old eyes. Okay. Uh, Schiff said Trump and his campaign welcomed and encouraged Russian interference. Mueller. Yes. Schiff. <laughs> and then Trump and his campaign lied about it and covered it up. Yes. I mean that right there. That's right huge. There. That's, That's huge. Like that's what they should be talking about and not about how Mueller looked or how I was appearing. Yes. It, it was just insulting. And it's like, and, and just by the by, I don't think Chuck Todd should really go after anybody for how they deliver information or how they look. <laughs> yes. He's the last person that should be going after anybody for any of that. Totally like agree. Lives, yeah. He lives with a producer in his ear and his notes and doesn't know how to ask, doesn't know how to ask a follow-up question. Like he's not a journalist. He's no. just, he's just a puppet. With, with a teleprompter and a producer in his ear. That's yeah, it. Absolutely. Another thing at, at that uh, hearing, Schiff says, your report describes a sweeping and systematic effort by Russia to influence our pres presidential election. Mueller, that is correct. Schiff, during the course of this Russian <laughs> interference, the Russians made outreach to the Trump campaign. Mueller, that is correct. So this is very clear. We have clear-cut criminal activity. I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's actually criminal, but it should be criminal that you are working with a foreign adversary to sway election. I, yeah. I you know, but there's election. Um, there's the uh, campaign finance issue. Of course, there's obstruction of justice. He specifically said that Mueller, or I'm sorry, Trump tried to fire Mueller, and then the Republicans are focusing on well, he didn't get fired, but that so when you try to rob a bank and it doesn't work. You still can get in trouble for trying to rob a bank. If you walk exactly. into a bank with a fucking gun and you say, give me all your money and the bank, you know, has that secret button and drops you through the floor, you're still going to get arrested. So, yeah. you know, I mean, you still get arrested for attempted murder. You still yeah. get arrested for all these things. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the, the media needs to be a little bit more. And I don't know how I don't know why they're not doing it. I really don't understand why they're allowing themselves to get caught up because I think that's part of the problem with our country right now. It would be easier for us to be, or I, sh I should say, it. I think we would be less divided if the media were more responsible in how it reported. And, it, you know, of course we need to hear all the breaking news. Of course we need to pay attention to Trump's buffoonery. And, I mean, he, he's, like a, he's like a traitor, you know, we need to pay attention to all of that. I don't think that every little detail of what he says needs to be paid attention to. But I do think we need to highlight the importance because he is the president of the United States, whether, you know, we believe he was installed by Russia or whatever he is. So we can't ignore him. But I don't think we should be putting his theatrics at the top of the list. It should be about the substance and what he's doing and I think that yes. people get so caught up in ratings and all of that. And it's just, it's like, oh my God, oh my God. He, he says a lot of the crazy stuff he says, and he tweets a lot of the crazy stuff because I honestly, this is my theory, is that it's a distraction tactic that he gets everybody focused on that while he's doing all of these other horrible things. Like he just, I think he just vetoed, um, what was it? Some, it was about an arms thing to Saudi Arabia. He vetoed it. And it's like, people aren't talking about right. that. Like these really important things that like he's, he wants to like 
fund these nations that have literally attacked us. Yeah. And it's just, and, and then we have, everyone's going after, while everyone's going after Pelosi for not impeaching, no one's focusing on McConnell, who is not, who refuses to protect us against Russia. Yeah. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. The fact that he made it very clear, Mueller made it very clear that Russia is attacking us now yes. and they're going to be attacking us in 2020 during the election cycle. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not into attacking Pelosi. Every once in a while, I, I admit my emotions get the best of me. And I feel <laughs> the other day I, I did I did post something and I, I immediately deleted it. I'm not going to say it what it was because I was just upset. You know, I, I see things and I get upset and I made a mistake of, of, you know, allowing my emotions to dictate what I was going to say on Twitter. I'd only stayed up for a minute. But the long and short is, you know, she's in a very difficult position. She's trying to figure out how we can move forward and win. And, yes. you know, I mean, of course, there's a lot of people arguing that, well, that means impeachment. But I'm just going to say what I saw on Twitter yesterday, and then I'm going to let you go off because I know yeah. you have very strong feelings on this. But Amy Vanderpool... I think it's girls really rule on Twitter. She posted that there was like this behind closed behind closed doors meeting with Pelosi and that she had given the okay for the caucus to move forward with impeachment when they felt it was uh, the right thing to do. And she, and she also said that uh, Amy said, you know, pr uh, that she was her theory was that Pelosi's going to wait until the fall, until that break is over. Why do it right now unless you're gonna, I mean unless you just forego the break, just have the break and then come back and start it. Now, in you know, in May, I don't remember the number of calls that we had from Democrats for impeachment, but let's just let's just go with sixty. I think it's up around ninety-five now. So it's mm -hmm. been you know, May was when Mueller gave his press conference. So since that press conference and since um, all the other awful things that have happened, racist comments, children in cages, all of that, um, you know, every day somebody else jumps on board and says, okay, let's impeach. And yeah. so um, I think that there's a decent shot that, you know, sh because my take on this as far as impeachment goes is I believe we need to do it no matter what. I'm okay if we're going to wait till after the break. And the, also the idea is if we do it too soon, then there's going to be exhaustion and it's better to start, you know, within an election cycle so everybody's fully aware of it and we've got people coming and testifying um, and I think that, I think that it's, if we don't, uh, like, there's the argument that, oh, well, the Senate's never going to kick them out. So what? Frame it that mm -hmm. way. If you're the Democrats yeah. say, we don't expect the Republicans to kick him out of office. The goal of impeachment is to hold him accountable and, and let the American people know what he's done. And, and if, if, you know, if the, that argument is that, oh, well, if the Republicans don't kick him out, he's going to de declare victory. He already is. He's exactly. already declaring victory. So exactly. let's not allow the Republicans to control the narrative all the fucking time like we do. It's like we get ahead of it and we say, look, we would love for the, you know, for the Senate Republicans to take a look at all the evidence that we're putting forth with all these hearings and all these questionings and to come to the conclusion that, yes, Trump is unfit for office and he needs to be removed. But we don't necessarily expect that because they've been supporting him so far. So we're going to move forward and we're going to let them, just as Elizabeth Warren said, we're going to let them sit with those votes. 
and deal with those votes in the 2020 election. But we're going to do our part. So anyway, that's what I think. What do you think? <laughs> well, like I've always said, what, the only thing that Republicans are good at is controlling the conversation. Mm -hmm. That's literally the only thing that they're good at. And they are getting, they're good at getting people to leave whatever con they're trying to sell. Yeah. As far as impeachment, I'm fully for impeachment, obviously. But I honestly think that with Pelosi, she is at, she's at the top of the chain. She can't, the minute she says, I'm for impeachment, it's go time. Yeah. And I fully believe that it's like, if you come at the king, you best not miss. I right. fully believe she's getting every duck in a row where it's like, we have this case that we can't, that is irrefutable. And, and she, right now, she's been gaining public support, gaining congressional yeah. support. She's been doing it. She's been, I don't, I think she's been in the impeachment process for several, several yeah. months right now, getting everything in a row. And then the second she says, we're going to begin this inquiry, this impeachment inquiry, that's go time. Right. So it's like, everyone's like, what, why are, what's going on? Why are we're waiting for a Pelosi? And I think we're just, we're exhausted and we're impatient and we're we're in a we're in a society of instant gratification, mm -hmm. where we want things right away. And I'm fully there too. I want him out of office as fast as possible. But at the same time, if we're gonna do this, we got to do it right. And I I do believe she is she's doing what she needs to do. And I do think it will eventually happen. I, I honestly do. But do you I think guess, it's gonna happen this year. I hope so. I look at what happened with Nixon, and I know that he didn't get impeached until his second term. Right. So it's like these things take time. Yeah. So I just, I mean, I would, I would love for it to happen this year. I think, unfortunately, our best chance at actually getting him out is the election. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And frankly, I mean, as much as I think, you know, the need for impeachment really has nothing to do with politics, even though politics yeah. is involved. Um, yeah. and, and they do have to be considered. But, you know, as we all know, impeachment is just about holding a president accountable and historical record. And so, you know, I mean, I think that if we were to not choose to impeach, I think that would be a bad idea. But I don't necessarily think that if 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 we're going to win the election, if Democrats are going to win, I think they're going to win whether or not we have impeachment. And, yes. you know, I mean, I've, I've said this a million times and I'm going to keep saying it. The only thing that's in the way, I think right now, of a Democratic winning in 2020 is Russia. Because, yeah, you know, we had, they had uh, a certain MO in 2016. And clearly we're all aware of that now. We understand that they use disinformation. We understand that they, you know, I mean, there, there were um, groups that posed as Black Lives Matter groups and and then and then the and same thing with like anti-vax. So they would they would push forth both sides of the argument in order to stoke all kinds of division, um, stoke the flames of division. But um, now the difference in you know even though we can understand what they did in 2016, they have the keys to the White House now, yeah. and they are able to penetrate deeper than they ever have. And we will never understand or know the extent of how far they can go, which means we can never underestimate it. And I get so fucking irritated with people online when, when I make this comment and they're like, y you know, no, you know, they didn't. How do you fucking know? You're just some Joe in your house or Joanne in your house who doesn't know what's going. I mean, I don't know what's going on. I know that elections are handled by each state. But, yes. you know, when you've got red states or, you know, purple states like Virginia, um, 
I don't know what the connection is between Russians and Trump and then the person who runs the elections in that state. So they could be working together. It's a theory, but it's a possibility. And so we should always assume the worst, you know? Yeah, I have, I have theories. I have the fact that Trump won because of a few, like thousands of, just thousands of votes Mm -hmm. in specific counties and specific states. Mm -hmm is highly suspect. Yeah. But if it came down to even election tampering, we're never going to hear about it yeah. because the, the every, no one will trust the voting process ever again. Yeah. And, and so, and as far as impeachment, I think that Democrats have nothing to lose by going for it because right now we're at, people are going to sit back and be like, man, I vote for these Democrats, but they don't do anything. Yeah. Like, so it's like, just do something and make yeah. people believe you're fighting for them. And it's going to it's I think it can do nothing but help Democrats chances. Yeah, well, I agree. I absolutely agree. And I just hope that whatever decision is made um, as far as the timing, you know, I mean, the idea that uh, Pelosi needs um, public, you know, sentiment or whatever they call it. I'm, I'm blanking on the word, but the public call, whatever, for impeachment. Um, I, I think that the call comes from doing all of the, you know, the hearings and, and just, for instance, talking to Mueller. You know what yes. I mean? It's like, all right, it's introduced people now to some information that they might not have had before. I mean, I certainly, I didn't read the entire Mueller report. I read a, a lot of it and I've, I've listened to people talk about what's in it. So I'm pretty aware, but unlike, you know, I, I'm not like most people. I'm, I'm in politics all day long. You're in it all day long. So you have yeah. a better grasp of what's going on. There are a lot of people who don't have a clue. And, you know, when I'm out and about, I like to just talk to people. I always say I talk to the women that I go to at the grocery store. Um, I've talked to a few of the guys, but there's two women in my grocery store, one a little bit older, uh, my age, and then there's one a little bit younger. And so I always ask them, you know, if they're following politics, they know that I do podcasting and stuff. So there's this one woman that I, the younger one, and I told her, I'm like, hey, uh, remember I told you uh, that Russia was attacking us, which freaked her out when I told her because she didn't understand. She thought like they were attacking you know, with bombs and stuff. So I, ex- I explained yeah. that it was cyber warfare. And then <laughs> I said, um, you know, yeah, you got you got to read about this. And I said, have you heard of the Mueller report? And she said, yes. And I said, well, you should read the Mueller report. And then uh, I talked to her last Saturday and I said, hey, Mueller's going to be, you know, in front of Congress. She, and she was like, oh, I have to watch. So, you know, I mean, oh. I, I told her, please tell your friends. <laughs> you know, it's like, pass it along. Um, I, I can yeah. only I, I only get out so much. So, you know, I have limited time to, to talk to people and try to spread the word outside of an online presence. But um, I'm hoping that, you know, the people who did watch, who are not fully aware of what's going on, picked up some information, you know, and, and, and they're like, oh, okay, maybe some of those people are going to be motivated to call their reps and, you know, and, and say we want impeachment. Because I think that, you know, we are right now um, kind of going, like you said, going through it. But I don't, th- I think the public call is going to come um, after we have more information. So we need that inquiry in order exactly. to get the information. And then there's an inquiry and then there's an impeachment. So calling for impeachment itself is voting on impeachment and voting to impeach based on the information that we've um, collected through all of these hearings. So that's exactly right. Yeah. That's, I think that's a point that people that's often missed. They're like, Oh, if we impeach, then we'll be able to do we'll investigate. I'm like, no, the investigation comes 
first. first. <laughs> then it's like it's it's like kind of going. You don't go to trial without having all your ducks in a row. Is how to convict a person. Yes. So you have to have all of that first, and then impeach. And I think that's a piece that people are, are often missing. It's Pelosi's like, I'm getting all these pieces. Just freaking wait, people. What are you like? It's just I'm doing it. <laughs> Let me do my fucking job. <laughs> well, you know, I wish she would call. I spoke with Sarah Kenzior a couple of weeks ago, and she suggested. Um, calling Harry Reid in because he had written two letters to Comey prior to the 2016 election based on Russian interference. So obviously there are going to be hostile witnesses who refuse to come and, and ignore subpoenas and all of that. Um, so I think that in itself, if they can't get Hope Hicks, if they can't get you know Lewandowski or whoever they're trying to get, I think that's going to speak volumes it's you know it, they're not going to have that testimony to point to but they're the the knowledge is there that we have and you know we've invited them we've subpoenaed them we've we've tried every possible way to get them in here and they're refusing to come talk to us i think that in and of itself is kind yes. of like testimony and then there are people like harry reed there are plenty of people who worked um you know during the 2016 election who have an understanding of what happened and happened and they can be very specific about it and give us details that we are not aware of. You know, information about what um, Mitch McConnell knew specifically, what he said, or whatever it is. So I think I'd really like for Pelosi and the Democrats to start inviting non-hostile witnesses that could provide, you know, shine a light on some of the stuff that either maybe we've heard it, um, but we're not really focusing on it, you know. I think that's a great idea. I wish I wish that they would do that. But again, they're going to take this yeah. break. And it's, what is it, six weeks or something? It's a long break. Jeez. It's too yeah. fucking long. It's like, you know what? They're I think Democrats need to not uh, be taking a break right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I mean, and I thought I have to say, I, I don't want to slam Pelosi. It was I think it was kind of bad optics because last night after the hearing, she went to a cocktail party at Maureen Dowd's house in Georgetown and she was holding a drink. And so somebody made a comment like, you know, the world isn't going to end. Um, I don't know, like the world is going to end at a cocktail party or something like that. And it's like, well, look, cocktail parties in D.C. are, are, are the way people do business. You know, exactly. they, I mean, it, it, they, they have their drinks and they have their pleasantries, but they're also meeting and talking and they're, you know, but it's like, I can't help but think that perhaps it's not the best optics. I'm not saying that she shouldn't yeah. have attended a party. It's just that it doesn't look good when Mueller is saying Trump broke the law and, and Nancy's smiling with a drink in her hand. It just doesn't look good. It's like, don't it, take it's the picture. Bad op- I get it. It's bad. It can be bad optics. At the same time, they're like, I, I have this full theory that she never stops working. Like she's no, always. No, I don't think she does. Yeah, I think she's just. I don't think she ever stops working. She's always doing something. That woman has more energy than all of us. <laughs> well, and you know what's really impressive about her is, um, you know, Bob goes to those sexy liberal comedy shows with Stephanie Miller. And oh, yeah. Pelosi was at one of them. And so, you know, Bob was, I think at that particular show, it was in San Francisco, he introduced the show. So we all met Nancy Pelosi. And, um, you know, when she was shaking Bob's hand, I think she said something along the lines of, uh, you know, oh, I heard that you lived, uh, I think it was that she mentioned that he lived in Santa Rosa and, and we had gone through... I don't know if it was the fires that she she brought up. I don't know if if that was it, but she knew something about him, and wow. um, you know, I mean, he was he he didn't even have a, a huge part in that production, but he was part of the production, and sh- she knew some somebody gave her information about Bob. 
so that when she met him, she could shake his hand and say, hey, didn't you do this? And, and he was so impressed. He was like, damn. You know what I mean? She's right? just like freaking on it. So yeah, I think she works 24-7. And so again, I'm not criticizing her for going to a cocktail party. I'm just- Yeah, but I, I just, see the optics. Yeah, it doesn't look good, especially when we've got, you know- children in cages and we've got you know Mueller talking about Trump breaking all the the rules and all of that but you know in the end I have to put my trust in her it's sometimes it's difficult because we're all so frustrated we're you know you see these pictures on the internet of children I mean I don't know if you saw that fucking picture of a kid wearing tinfoil shoes and a full diaper and I mean I've seen all the images but that particular image it's devastating. And if I think about it too hard, I start crying. And, and I feel yeah. like, um, I don't know, it's just, it, it's, it's very difficult to maintain an, a, a sane level, you know, where you're, where you're not freaking out. And it's, that's why I just want to start screaming, impeach him now, you know, it's like. Exactly. And it's so frustrating too, when I see pictures like that, because like, I know there are groups and there are individuals that want to send shoes and diapers and toothpaste and soap. And it's like, we can't even get them into them. There's like, there's all these, this bureaucracy that doesn't allow it. And it's, it's infuriating because it takes, it takes literally 30 seconds to change a kid's diaper. Yeah. Um, You know, give them some cheap shoes. Like it's, it's not, it's not hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that was extremely really upsetting. And I just, th- this whole thing, I mean, and it's like, I saw yesterday, um, Boris, Johnson, uh, you know, he's going to be the prime minister of UK. And I, I guess there was already a march. And I feel like, you know, when Trump was air quote elected, um, we had our march the next day after the um, inauguration. And it was huge. Mm-hmm. It was worldwide and huge. And then we had another one the following year. And then, you know, we've had climate marches and all kinds of marches since then. Um, but I think it's gotten to the point now where we're exhausted and I don't know that we're going to be able to get it together to, to do those kinds of things, whether it's standing outside of the white house and protesting or going down to the border and protesting. I do know this one woman who's a lawyer. She's about my mom's age. So she's in her seventies, but she is donating her time and she's going to go down to the border to do whatever she can. So I'm grateful for people who are doing that, but I'm starting to worry and, um, you know, think, are we even, outraged enough I mean we're all outraged but we're also so exhausted that what is it going to take for us are we ever going to get to the streets you know because it was in Puerto Rico they got they went to the streets and they got that guy to uh, resign yeah I mean that's what I'm most frustrated about is I'm like we need to organize and I'm like should I be the one to organize it I don't know how I'm supposed to organize this like we should get out into the streets and just not leave until he's gone yeah because that's i i believe if we were able to organize something like that because we there's such clear outrage he has his supporters of course yeah. he has his supporters so the same supporters he had before i don't think he's gained or lost anybody no. it's just the same group of like maybe maybe 30 percent of the country maybe yeah so it, he doesn't have a majority we we are in the majority mm-hmm. the people like i most of the republicans i know that i've been friends with don't like him mm-hmm. so we're all in the, we are all want him out. And I think we have to, I wish like, and I think it's the same thing that we're saying is people are exhausted because it's like this thing and another thing and another thing, and another thing. Yeah. I mean, this is so much all the time, but I do believe we need to get out there 
and well and he keeps getting away with in it March. i think that yeah. i think that's an it's not just exhaustion it's 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 feeling hopeless like he just keeps getting away with it he just keeps getting away with it and you know yeah. so many times i'm seeing people online saying that's it we're lost as a country and you know what i mean okay if he if he gets reelected in 2020 i'm probably going to be right there with all the um you know the debbie downers i mean i'm a debbie downer a, a lot of the time because i'm afraid <laughs> But it's like, yeah. I still have hope. We, we're we not finished. 2020 is our deciding moment. And I mean, I have a lot of hope for it. I'm not, I'm not being Pollyanna, but I, I, I've talked about this before. But, you know, the, tw- the 2018 election um, showed us that the people who voted, voted based on Trump, whether it was for or against. And we had a, okay, so if you, if you take a look at the 2010 and the 2014 midterm elections 2010 the tea party got in because we had obama and he did so well in 2008 that people figured oh that's all we need they don't understand the importance of midterm elections they don't understand that you know the senate votes on um supreme court justices they don't get that all they see is the president and think we're fine and so the democrats unfortunately did a shitty job of getting out the vote for uh, the 2010 and the 2014 elections. So in 2010, we saw all these Tea Party Republicans get in. And then in 2014, we saw the lowest turnout in history, or at least in 80 yeah. years, something like that. So and, and of course, it was just all the Fox viewers that showed up. And then, and then yeah. all the Democrats were like, huh, what happened? You didn't vote. And a part of it is, I, you know, I, I, there's a responsibility on voters but there's also responsibility on the Democratic Party to sell their brand, and they do not. Yes. You know, it's oh like oh god, You're, yeah. It's like they shied away <laughs> from talking about Obamacare. They were too afraid because they wanted to pander to the centrists. And it's like we need to fucking stop doing that. It's not like we have to all have to run around screaming sh- socialism, but it's like just fucking sell the Democratic Party's, you know, all the things that they've accomplished. Yeah. And you know, and if Demo- so, anyway. Um, yeah, well, if we could sell our accomplishments, like if Democrats could sell their accomplishments and what they're and their policies and their ideas and what they're going to do and mix that together with the Republican ability to sell the message. Yes. They'd be unstoppable. We would win every election. We would. Every time. Every single yeah. time. And, um, you know, but when you take a look at 2018, that turnout was general election turnout. And it was, you know, yes, I'm going to give some credit to the Democrats here because they did a very good job, but it was primarily Trump. He was the main motivator to get people to go to the poll. So I think that's going to carry over to 2020. Um, but again, the wild card is Russia. And it's not just Russia. It's, yeah. it's all the other countries now who are like, hey, I want a piece of that action. Trump has publicly said he'll accept help from them. So, you know, now n- we're not only dealing with Russian interference. I don't know, you know, China, North Korea, whoever else thinks they're going to get in and, um, you know, fuck with us so we're, we're going to be dealing with that huge foreign adversary wild card um and we're going to be you know we can overcome gerrymandering and voter suppression as long as we vote and i'm sorry for being a broken record but i'm not going to stop um as long as we all show up because mm-hmm. it's like voting in numbers too large to ignore we can overcome gerrymandering if we show up we can overcome. That's what I, that's what I say. Yeah, yeah, because we can, and then and then it makes it more difficult if they cheat. Um, to you know, it makes it more difficult to get away with cheating if we have this overwhelming amount of people at the polls. And I always say, you know, 
vote fucking early. Have a plan. Vote early. And, you know, and the most important thing is because I noticed as a Bernie supporter um, in 2016, which I'm no longer, but I was, you know, I noticed that um, people like I was in all these Bernie groups and people were saying, you know what? I was an independent and I switched over to Democrat and then I went to vote and it had me as a Republican. And in some, yeah, in some, you know, I remember I was telling Bob about that and he's like, oh, uh, that's probably just a one-time thing. And it was more and more people that were experiencing this. And I think it was Russians. Or it, if it wasn't Russians, it was GOP dirty tricksters or something. You know, I think it was yeah, on absolutely. purpose. So, oh, absolutely. It yeah. was on purpose. So we have to, Sarah Kenzior recommended to, um, you know, check your, uh, however you're registered, if you're going to go vote in person, like make sure online that you're registered as a Democrat and take a screenshot so that if you show up to the polls and they're like, oh, no, you're a Republican, you can say here. And, of course, you're going to have to go through a lot of crap. But, I mean, at least you can get that process going. But I would say try to vote early in order to avoid that. So if you can, you know, I don't, you know whether it's sending it in by mail or whatever, vote early. Sometimes states have early voting like a week before. And then have a plan. You know, get your yeah. friends. Take the day off of work. We've got over a year. You can plan for this. You can get the day off of work. So um, just have that plan because that's the only, that's it. That's our only hope. It's true. I really wish a lot more states would adopt. I lived in Oregon for three years and I really wish that more states would adopt how they do their elections. It's all paper, it's all paper ballot by mail and you can track it and they say, and you, and you know, when your vote is counted. Oh, wow. That is great. And they send you voter information packets. So you can literally sit there with your voter information and go through all of whatever you're voting on. And then make you check your boxes and then send it in. And then you get, you get, you get a confirmation via email. Like it's literally, I think they have like 70% voter turnout or something like that. It's wow. like, it's like the highest in the country because it's, they make it so easy. You can either yeah. drop it off in a box on election day or you mail it in early. I always got it and did it right away. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, I really wish that more states plus there's a paper trail. Yes. There's no, like you can't flip votes with these electronic voting. Like yeah. you can literally go back and see that I checked in the box for so-and-so. Right. So, yeah. Do, do they so have, just, do they have ranked choice voting there? I don't, I'm not sure what that is. And I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to explain it well, but um, I wish that we could go with ranked choice voting. And basically that means is you choose your candidate in order. So like, let's go to 2020, um, your first choice would be Hillary Clinton. Um, and then your next choice would be, okay, uh, well, let me put it to you this way. Let's say you wanted to vote for Jill Stein. So you vote for Jill Stein, but if she doesn't win, then that vote goes to the next person down, which might be Hillary Clinton. So, oh. so and, No, and, I don't think Oregon does that. And, no. and that's genius because then you yeah. don't split the vote. You know what I mean? Your, your vote automatically goes down to your second choice. So you're not going to vote for Trump as, you know, I, I don't imagine that. Some, but, the, you know, I, it would work that way where it's like, OK, well, if your first choice doesn't make it, then this then it goes down to the second choice. And I, th- I think they have it. Oh, I can't remember. I think it's in Maine. Everybody should look up ranked choice voting. It's fascinating. And it, it, it would have prevented the issue we had with Jill Stein in 2016. Oh, yeah. It would have gone to Hillary. Oh, she, I mean, she won the popular vote. And then, yeah. and the states, you see where voters voted for, who was the other guy? Was it, what was his name? Was it? 
I can't. Johnson? Re- I don't. Yeah. I can't remember. And then <laughs> it's, it's forgettable. Like you, you saw like those like those votes. If Hillary had gotten those votes, right? Even like she would have. It would have been a landslide across the country. She would have gotten Florida. Like, it yeah. was. It was insane. I, I was so. I, I still have PTSD from that night. I know. Me too. I remember it very well. And you know, God, I was in such a good mood that night. I had yeah, gotten a haircut and I, I remember I was like in the bathroom, excited, you know, like finishing up my shower and all that. And, and, you know, Bob and I were going to sit on the couch and watch Hillary win. And I was so excited. And then it was like, slowly, but surely we figured it out. It was, it was like this, constant punch in the gut all night long and it was just so absolutely devastating and you know I just keep I I say this a lot too but I lived in Russia and I understand how easy it is for a nation of human beings to um, be controlled I think it's I mean we're not going to ever turn into Soviet Russia Um, I don't think that's ever going to happen I think that you know if anything the worst case scenario is we would basically turn into what Russia is right now which is an oligarchy um, but I think that people don't get it. They, they think that, oh, because I've grown up this way and I've had this experience and this privilege, it's always going to be there. No, it can turn fast. Within 10 yeah. years, this country can be unrecognizable. And, you know, I mean, so that, that is what we're facing in 2020. And while I do, you know, when I see people who say, oh, there's no point or, oh, we're all uh, lost, I don't want to go down that road at this point because, yes, we are in danger. We are, we are like the fucking red light is blinking. But we, you know, the, the determination of how or what's going to happen with our country is going to land on voting day in 2020. If, if we're able to pull it off, we have hope. Yeah. You know, and if then, we have and then voter turnout, about- we'll win. If we have the voter turnout, we will win. Yeah. Like they can't, they can rig it so far unless right. they actually want you to turn votes electronically. If we get the turnout, we will win. I think we could even win states like Georgia, honestly. I, that I, so. I, guess. I just hope so, I so much. <laughs> like, like, like if we win states like Georgia or like Arizona, I think those are yeah. the two states that are definitely in play. And if we can actually pull that off with voter turnout, it, it like I hate when state when it comes down to Florida and Ohio, and I yeah. hate that because then they just play to the voters in Florida and Ohio, and I'm just like, what do those voters have to do anything with me? Like I, my vote clearly doesn't matter because they just play to Ohio and Florida. Yeah. If we could put other states in play, like Arizona and Georgia and yeah. all these other, it's like then it won't matter. And right. we're eventually, maybe we can finally get to a point where it's one person, one vote, and we don't yes. have to worry about the stupid electoral college anymore <laughs> that was a, a, a system based upon um, slavery so that Southern states would have more clout in Washington. It's, it's absolutely outdated and unnecessary. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this. Who, who, do you have a candidate for 2020? I, I do, but it's almost like walking a tightrope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am still in for Kamala. Uh-huh. Um, she's my number one. Um, but Warren is right there next door. So it, I literally could, depending on how any day goes or a debate or generally, I yeah, I still one and two Kamala Warren. But yeah, it's those two. Yeah. And I, I'm exactly you except flip it Warren is my favorite but but I'm exactly the same because either woman I would just be jumping up for joy to vote for and it's not because they're women 
It's because, oh, no. yeah, it's they're because, the best ones. They're the best. They're the best candidates. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know what? I also I do like Amy Klobuchar. Um, I don't think she has the charisma per se that we're all wanting for a president. But I think if she were a president, I think that um, I think she would be pretty good. I, I think she's solid and pragma- pragmatic. I know that there are you know reports out there that she's terrible to work with and she can be mean and all of that. But you know, down the line, how many mean presidents have we had? that have been you know good presidents i don't really give a shit as long as they can get things done i mean i don't and want someone are, yeah. yeah i don't want someone to feel like they're being abused in a workplace situation but at the same time um you know i'm sure i'm sure there have been plenty of male presidents who have been in terrible moods and treated people who work for them like shit so um you know i'm not yeah, defending huh? it but it's like come on Women are generally called mean when they behave like men. Yeah. So that's, that, it comes down to that a lot of the time. I mean, I don't want anyone to be abused, and it's probably, it's never okay, either a man or a woman, but generally, if a woman is strong and, and is forceful and knows what they want and can sometimes be a little harsh about it, and they behave like a male boss, but they're called mean because yeah. they're, they're a lady. Right. They behave like a lady. Yeah, I mean, I also get sick of the idea where people say women should run everything. I disagree with that very strongly because, I mean, I, I know I know how women are. I mean, you know, <laughs> as much as we like to say that there's no difference in the sexes, I think there are. And, and they may well just be learned differences. And if we had, you know, different, pers- uh, like, if we all grew up in a different situation, we'd have different perspectives. And um, if, if, if the gender thing was treated differently, obviously we wouldn't have... Um, such strong differences but there are differences and you know I mean I have worked with women who have been terrible I have worked with men who have been terrible so you know and I think that there are certain things that you can you know it's funny I learned when I was an outside sales rep that um, especially in the chemical industry where the majority of my clients were blue-collar men um, I learned that men can be just as gossipy or even more gossipy than women. They talk shit. They, they, they can be very petty. And it was something that I didn't realize because I had pretty much always worked uh, with women. I, I worked in the fragrance industry for a long time, the perfume industry, which was primarily women. I worked in, uh, I sold coffee and tea related accessor- accessories for like, you know, the coffee shops and stuff like that and tea rooms. So primarily women. And then I get involved in, um, you know, industrial chemicals. It's a whole new world. And I learned that men can be quite gossipy. And, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was kind of funny to me that they were like that. But, uh, you know, I, so I don't want to be too stereotypical, but you, if you get too many women, you get too much of a woman's perspective. I think it needs to be equal. I think it needs I to think, be balanced. Yes, yeah, absolutely. We need to have I, I, I make a lot of jokes regarding like I want everything should be all women for 20 years and we'll, we'll be a better. Off yeah. Place. Well, I'm mean, going like, with I, that. <laughs> yeah. Which might be, which we, we've tried men for long enough and maybe we should try women. So I'll, I'll say things like that. Ultimately it'd be great if we had a balance yeah. between personalities because then both sides could keep each other in check. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and that's what this population is. I mean, we're, we're pretty, I mean, there's a little bit more women, but we're pretty much half and half and we just need to be represented equally. And, you know, it's so funny how the uh, misogynists and the dumbass sexists out there always going, you just want all the power and you just want to take all the power away from men. It's like, oh my God, shut the fuck up. No, we don't. We just want equal Stop making this into some, you know, bullshit argument, but they never will. They'll never stop because they're just so stupid. But speaking of male (laughs) behavior, 
I have to say, I'm a little bit disappointed in Cory Booker because um, he said, and I'm quoting here, Donald Trump is a guy you understand that hurts you. My testosterone sometimes makes me want to feel like punching him, which would be bad for this elderly, out of shape man that he is. Um, That he is. If If I did that, wait a minute. If I did that, this physically weak specimen, I don't know. That was, I don't know if this quote is actual, but anyway, the point is. Oh, he went like full toxic, didn't he? It's like, dude, no. <laughs> full toxic masculinity. No, it's like, okay, no, don't, don't. Don't. I mean. Don't yeah, do don't, that. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't, that's just falling to a level that. You know, Biden did something like that uh, prior to running. He made that comment about how he wanted to beat him up or whatever. And it's like, stop throwing your dicks around. You know, I mean, can you imagine (laughs) if if Kamala Harris said that she wanted to punch Trump? Can you fucking imagine? Can you imagine? (laughs) Yeah, it would just that would be over. She'd have to drop out and everything would be done. Yeah. Yeah, And I like Cory Booker a lot. I mean, I don't he doesn't have a chance in hell, but I like (laughs) him. And I think that he does have a shot at VP or he does have a shot at, you know, moving up. I think he I really like him. And it's like don't you know, just don't fall for Trump's tactics. And that's basically what it is. Don't let him drag you down in the mud because we can win this if we focus on, um, you know, as, as I was saying, you know, push the accomplishments of Democrats and focus on the racism, focus on the children who aren't getting showers and who are sick and who are getting fucking sexually assaulted and focus on those things. And paint Trump as the person that he is. You know, give everybody, you know, there's the idea that Joe Biden is number, you know, number one in the polls because he's like anti-Trump. I think he's number one in the polls because he's recognizable and he was a vice president. And right now it's early and, you know, we've only had one set of debates. So we need to have more conversation. I think he's going to eventually lose um, steam. I could be wrong, but I think that's what's well, going to happen. Well, he's dropping. Yeah, he's he is dropping, dropping in the polls pretty rapidly, actually. Yeah, so he is. Yeah, but you know, and I mean, I, he ne- and he needs to figure it out. He needs to, you know, I think that he could actually pull it off if he stops um, trying to a be the big like muscle guy, and you know, because he did say he wanted to beat up Trump, and then I think he also needs to not pander to the center. It doesn't mean he has to go full Bernie or anything like that, but it's just, (laughs) you know, just don't pander to the center. Just focus on, like I said, focus on Trump's racism, focus on the fact that children are in cages, focus on the fact that, you know, women's rights are being rolled back and that people, you know, I was talking to somebody and, uh, they, they're a nineties Democrat, right? They're in their seventies. And they said something along the lines of how George Stephanopoulos said, it's the economy, stupid. So it's all about the economy. And I said, well, yes. I said, but there's two things to consider. Number one, the 90s was a different time. We, we weren't in this urgent freak out that we are right now. So everything it kind of that was standard back in the day is doesn't necessarily have the same impact that it does now. Obviously, a good economy is going to keep people feeling safe, but 
the truth of the matter is the economy is best affecting, you know, is, is, is better for the one percenters. There are, you know, like one of those women that I talked to in the grocery store, she works seven days a week. She works at the courthouse five days a week and she works at Safeway two days a week. She never has a day off. So a lot of these people out there are working two and three jobs in order to just yeah. pay their bills. And, and the economy is not doing so well for them. And this is a black woman. And so there are plenty of, whether they're black or Hispanic or whatever, people of color who are experiencing it even worse because they're making less money than their white counterpart, their white counterparts. So I don't necessarily think that just because the economy's doing well at this point, that that's necessarily going to be this big indicator that Trump's going to win. You know, I think that um, that's what Joe Biden and all the people should be. I mean, Warren is. She's talking about the economic issues. And just because we're doing well doesn't mean everyone's doing well. Well, yeah. And I just saw it was I, I follow Fox News just because I want to see what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And they, they put out an article this morning. that was basically, oh, there are more jobs than ever um, for young people coming, you know, young people coming into their like into the 20s. And I was like. Oh, yeah. And so I commented being my sarcastic self being like, yeah, people can get three to five minimum wage jobs and they can <laughs> and they can make it. Yeah. So they can have. So, yeah, we have a lot of jobs. Sure. But are these jobs paying a living wage? Yeah. Are like, yeah. So we're like we should people shouldn't have to work seven days a week. People shouldn't have to work 14 hours a day. That's ridiculous. So it's yeah. like, is that the standard of life these Republicans want? And they'll be like, oh, well. It's, and then they're they're like, well, people can just pull themselves up by their bootstraps. bootstraps. Give me a fucking break. And I'm just like, what if you don't even have boots? Like, how are you supposed <laughs> yeah. to do that? So, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. It's just – and this whole thing with um, race. Now, it's obviously – it's, it's, it's getting to a point where it's escalating, and I think it's going to continue escalating to such ugly, awful heights. And, you know, I mean, I'm going to share a little experience that I had. God, I don't even remember if I talked about it last week. Um, I, 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 I did end another thing, and I, 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 I can't remember. But here's the story. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was driving, and I, I, I saw, okay, there was, like, the entrance to, it was a street. It was, like, you're going to turn right on the street, but the street had, it was, like, an entrance to an uh, outside mall or an outside shopping area. So there was kind of, like, a median in between, so you would turn right in, and then there was the median, and then there was the t- way to leave the shopping center to turn, you know, any way you want. Anyway, so on the median, in the middle of the two lanes, there were three white police officers holding down a black guy. And the black guy was kind of big. He had dreadlocks. He was big, meaning he was like, I don't know, maybe 6'2 or 6'3. He wasn't fat, but he wasn't muscular. just kind of like in between. And, um, but he was bigger than the three white police officers who were holding him down. So immediately my thought was, I, I need to record this. And there was a whole bunch of other people that were all um, kind of making a U-shape around the incident so and there was this one black woman who was probably about five feet away from where the police officers were and she was filming it and so I you know I I pulled over and I parked my car and I I I got my phone out and I'm a six foot tall blonde so you know the cops saw me in fact one of the cops told me to please get on the grass because he didn't want me to get hit by a car and um, so I did. So I'm filming it and I'm watching the situation and all that's running through my head is, is, you know, all the things that I've seen on social media. Eric Garner getting strangled to death. Uh, there was that incident where the black mother 
her little child stole a Barbie from Walmart and mm-hmm. the fucking white I cops treated her like she was a terrorist. They were awful. So, so I've got these negative images running through my head and I don't know what I'm about to witness. So the entire experience, which lasted approximately four or five minutes, um, I was unclear of where this was going to go. I was afraid that something terrible was going to happen. And I wanted to show these police officers that I, like all the other people there, um, were filming them. So don't get any ideas. Although the Eric Garner tape, nobody gave a shit that they were being filmed. They just did it in front of the camera and then he gets off. But anyway, so I'm, you know, I'm thinking in terms of all of like, oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm watching what's going on and none of the police officers were using excessive force. They were, they were shorter and, and smaller than the guy they were holding down. And the guy they were holding down was resisting arrest. Now, again, this guy was not being violent. He was literally just bitching. He was bitching and he was pissed off. And he, he's like, get off of me. And he was using profanity. And he would like, you know, try to kind of sit up. And then they would, they would push him back down. But when I say push, it wasn't like a violent push. It was just, come on, stop resisting arrest. And, and so the guy, I guess, was in the sunshine and he wanted to move over to the shade and he's complaining that he wanted to move to the shade. And they're like, hey, look, we're going to let you move to the shade, but you got to stop fighting us. And so during this process, both this black woman who was recording it and I were kind of like pleading with this guy to stop arguing with the cops. It was like, just stop. He was calling them the N word and he was he was saying fuck and he was doing and it was like, just stop. I was so afraid that he was going to make one of those officers so angry that it something terrible was going to happen. So we kept reminding him, we're filming you. Ju- both of us were, were yelling at him and saying, please just obey. Let them move you to the shade. We've got this on film. Just, you know, go along with them. And so long story short, that's pretty much what happened. Finally, he kind of stopped, you know, complaining and bitching. And they moved him over to the shade. And he sat there, and then another cop showed up, more cops showed up, they put him in handcuffs, and then at that point, he was basically just sitting alone. And all the cops were, you know, waiting for the, you know, for the truck to come. And so, I stopped filming at that point, and I realized that this was not going to be some terrible thing, and I was very relieved to see that, you know, um, everything worked out. They they'd accused him of stealing something, and the woman that was also photographing it, I asked her, you know, I'm like, what happened? And she said, well, they said that he stole something from Walmart, and I didn't see anything, but he could have dropped it. So nobody really knew whether or not this guy was guilty, but the cops were saying he was, and they were going to arrest him. And I got home, and I, I, I called my mother, and I explained what happened, because I felt so shaken up by it. Even though it was a happy ending and all that, it was like the anticipation of what's going to happen was very nerve-wracking. And, um, you know, my mom had explained that th- this was Montgomery County Police, and that I guess they have a much lower inci- incidence of, you know, uh, racial... Um, police, you know, encounters that are, are negative, they have a lower incidence of it because they're better trained. And it really showed. Those, these guys did a great job. I think they, they did not overstep their boundaries. They were, they were doing what they needed to do. I mean, I told, when I told Bob about it, he was like, wow, it's ridiculous. You would need three people to hold one person down. And yeah, but um, this guy was pretty big and these guys were not that big. So, you know, they were wearing vests and all that, but I didn't see them taking advantage of their power. But really what struck me, more than anything, more than my nervousness of, of like, you know, afraid of what I might see, was that the more, the, as time went on, 
more and more people were showing up. More and more people were recording the incident. And the police were very well aware. Um, and, and so if there was uh, any kind of, you know, if one of those cops was a bad cop and might have taken advantage of their situation as police officers, they were aware that they were being recorded by not just one person, but like 50 or 60 people. And I thought, isn't that interesting and kind of sad? But um, we are a society now where we're so used to seeing um, negative, negative police action on social media that we're kind of policing the police, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like, it's sad, but it's... It's sad, but it's also it's sad, and it, but it, but it's good. at the same time I think it's good and I think it's necessary. It keeps them in check. Yeah, um, I think there are so many good police officers yeah. um, and, out there, and you want them. And then the, <laughs> you want and we them want for them when them shit happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I absolutely respect the police when they're good, when right? They're good cops, and I respect them, and I respect their authority, and. But then there are the bad apples. Yeah. And those are the ones that we need to call out. But at the same time, we need to be holding all everyone in check, being like, we are watching you. Yeah. And it's good. If that this they goes know awry, that. right. Everyone's gonna know about it. Right. And I mean, obviously yeah. everybody knows about Eric Garner and the guy got off. And and that worries me. I mean, I know it was like Ice T put out a tweet, we watched a snuff film and nobody got in trouble for it. And, and so that's a message that they also get is like, well, if I, you know, if I do something, I'm not going to get in trouble. But I think a lot of this comes from the way they're trained. And I think that after 9-11, um, the way we dealt with whether it was just, you know, overall military authorities, all of it. I think that there was this new sense of needing to be almost military, like having that military, how do you say the word militaristic? I can't say it. Um, uh militarized or militarization yeah, yeah i mean it's like they're taking it over into um you know people who might be stealing something from walmart or selling single cigarettes or something like that and so i mean i i think that i'm glad to to learn that montgomery county you know their cops are being trained in a way to avoid escalation and i think that's you know where we need to go but yeah i mean it was like exactly. I, I look at the racism in this country and i think that my experience although i was fortunate and and you know i mean i i certainly hope that that guy was not falsely accused um i have no idea so i can't even speculate but let's just say he did steal something from walmart and the cops got him and all that um, it's, 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 it's good to know that, uh, you know, things are working, but we've got this issue that now Trump is only going to make worse and he's putting, you know, we're going to, when we go over to end another thing in a few minutes, um, we're going to talk about the squad, but you know, AOC and all, and all the, uh, um, uh, those four women that Trump is going yes. after. And I'm just so frightened that, you know, I mean, I'm getting to a point where, I, I, ever since Trump was elected, when I go out and and just do my thing, I live in Maryland, and so you know there's a there's a I don't know I mean there's there's a lot of black people there's a lot of Muslim people there's you know there's there's Asian people and and Hispanic people but when I'm out in the grocery store when I'm out in anywhere and I see you know the diversity, oops, yeah, last oh. <laughs> when I see the diversity. I wonder, I think, do these people think I'm a Trump supporter? Do they think that I don't like them? And, and 
and now it's just it's it's even escalating like i feel like I've always felt like, okay, I'm white, so I've got that privilege in this Trump world where I'm not going to be told to go back to my own country. I'm not going to be called a, a, a slur based on the color of my skin. But it's getting to the point now that it doesn't matter what color you are. If there is some crazed person at a grocery store or at a bank or whatever, and they're going to pick on um, somebody who doesn't have white skin, all of our lives are in danger. You know what I mean? It's like we're all affected by this. We always have yeah. been, but it's escalating now. And that's something that's just, it's getting to the point where it's like, I don't want to be afraid to leave my house. And for the most part, I don't feel afraid. For the most part, what I experience in a, in a very diverse community where I live is people are just friendly to each other. You know I mean? It's like, I don't, I don't get like, I don't see a bunch of racists. I don't see a bunch of people feeling frightened. I just see people going about their day, doing their normal stuff. We say hello to each other. You know, we're friendly. If, if You know, it was funny, too, because living here, as opposed to living in California, I notice, I notice a little bit more that people are more about community and, and, and helping. Like, there was an older lady who was walking to her um, car, and she had a bunch of groceries, and there was this mom in the parking lot with her son, who was like a teenager, and she ordered her son to go help that woman. She's like, go help her. She's got some heavy groceries. Help, him, you know, help her get him into the car. And, you know, I mean, I've seen stuff like that. So that does give me hope that at yeah. least, you know, I mean, I see it a little less. I saw it a little less in California because it's so big. Um, but, you know, I've noticed in Maryland, there are definitely, there's a sense of community and people help each other. And, you know, I mean, my mom, it was funny because she, I guess there was some in issue with her, uh, with her recycling can and it, I guess it was out for too long or whatever. And one of her neighbors called the police to make oh sure God. she was okay. Because oh, they, okay. you know, she lived, she lives I alone. They called right. the police no, 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 no. it was out too long. No, no, no. They called the police because they were worried for her. I don't know why oh, they didn't just knock on the door, but. Yeah, but still, <laughs> that's, that's, that's actually very thoughtful. And yeah, they, would, they were concerned. Yeah. So it's like, that gives me, that makes me feel really good to know that I, you know, and my mom also lives in a di diverse area and there's in her neighborhood alone. It's, she's like, oh my God, there's, there's Indian people, there's Muslim people, there's black people, there's Hispanic people, there's white people. And, you know, growing up in California, I'm used to diversity and so is she. And so we kind of like it. And so, uh, but I just Same. never want to feel like people think I'm looking at them like Trump would look at them. Yeah, that's when I, I just recently, I, this past weekend, had to go to Georgia for a memorial. Um, and my wife came with me and she's Puerto Rican and she's uh, she's got pretty dark skin. So it, I was like, okay, we're going to go, we're going to get in and we're going to get out. Because I was like, I was le I was legitimately concerned for her. Yeah. And um, I mean, everything went, everything was fine. We were fine. Um, we did, we were only there for a day. Everything was fine. But it was just like, it's those thoughts that you... I feel like we're now forced to think about right. because when That's we have it. Trump on stage, like literally signaling, literally signaling a white supremacist signal while he says AOC. Yes. Thing, I was like, oh my gosh, like it, like he's signaling like that mm -hmm. is, I'm, I'm so concerned for her safety. I'm so concerned for all of their safety. I know. And you know what? That signal, because I remember last year I, I posted a number of people and it was, you know, um, Milo Yiannopoulos, Roger Stone, I don't know. There's a you know, there's that woman who worked for um, uh, Kavanaugh, and a bunch of them. And it's like so. It's the OK sign. You make the OK sign with your hand, and yep. that is the new sign for white supremacy. And when I first 
uh, I don't know how new, but it's it's new enough that a lot of people aren't even familiar with it. And I post about it last year, and I got a lot of shit from people basically telling me that I was crazy. And then yeah. um, it happened again, and I, and I posted about it a second time, and a little more people were like, okay, yeah, this is a thing. I'm sorry. He says AOC, and just as he's saying AOC, he does the OK sign right next to his face. That was right not – yeah, that was not coincidental. No, no, that was absolutely a signal, especially the way that he did it. It was so quick, right alongside her name. It yes. was absolutely a signal. Yes, and that's terrifying. You it's know, so scary. I'm, 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 I'm so scared. I, I really hope she has proper security. I mean, it's just really, it's really scary. I know. Well, we're gonna, like I said, we're gonna talk a little bit more about them um, in the next okay. segment. But um, I guess that's about it for now. So. Um, this has been an interesting conversation and I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you showed up and, and, and were able to talk. I love talking to you. You have an interesting perspective and um, oh, you're so you. funny on, on Twitter, by the way, where can people find you? They can find me on all of the things um, <laughs> at Sarah Wood writer, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, pretty much anywhere. And then they can also learn more about me as a writer and a musician on sarahwoodwriter.com. Okay. Well, I'm going to put both of those websites links into the text of the show so um that's gonna wrap it up for today thank you sarah again for being here thank you for having me and we're just gonna head over um to end another thing see you next time